guys, and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 184. And as always, you're joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now we do have another Q&A episode for you, and we've been putting up a few polls on our Instagram page lately at the Bodybuilding Dietitians, and it's just been awesome to see so many people engaging with those question polls and asking a lot of really great and sometimes hilarious questions. So just want to say a big thank you to everyone, and we'll try to get through as many as we can today. So Jack, this first question, it asks, how can you stop comparing your food to other people? Wow, quite a quite a difficult question to answer, to be honest. I feel that the questions that are most difficult to answer are those that we, one, like don't know the individual. Mm. And I think also that involve a lot of psychology as well. Like the more strictly objective nutrition questions, like what supplements should I take or XYZ around nutrition science, it's a bit easier. But especially a question like, oh, how do I fix my relationship with food? Or how do I stop comparing my food to other people? It's, it's a bit more nuanced. So mm. uh, I think the, the root cause is sometimes to identify like why you are comparing your, your food to other people. Is it because you wish you were eating more? Is it because you wish that you had other people's cooking skills? Maybe their food looks delicious. Because mm. I guess you might be comparing food in terms of numbers like, how many calories someone is on, or maybe you're comparing like, like actually what they're eating. Personally, I interpret this as the numerical side of things like, oh, this person gets to eat more than me while I'm dieting. Mm, yeah, there's so many different ways to interpret it. And I wish we could ask, is it a case of are you comparing calories or are you comparing actual food sources? Because it's interesting, right? Like on Instagram, it's not just the case of comparison of physiques or lifestyle. It's now literally coming down to the comparison of their diet versus my diet. <laughs> mm. Who knows? Maybe it's even when people post on Instagram fancy reels of their meal prep for the week and they're making all these really just gourmet burrito bowls and all these like chia oat cups for breakfast and someone's looking at their breakfast and they're like, man, I'm just having cereal and whey. Mm. <laughs> sure, the BDU guys would all approve or at least 50% of you. <laughs> yeah, a sneaky plug to the Bodybuilding Down Under podcast. Yeah, but the way that I see it is that you know, when you are in the position where you can voluntarily make a choice on how many calories you're going to consume on a daily basis, whether that has you in a calorie surplus, at maintenance, or in a deficit, that is a real privilege to actually be in the position to make that choice and also live in a food environment where you have access to just an abundance of different types of foods, obviously, with those supermarkets that you can shop at and with all the different restaurant items that obviously you can make an order from. So it's a real choice and it's a real privilege, but I'm just a firm believer that you can't necessarily complain about a choice that you are choosing to make. And what kind of gets me is when people do play a bit of a victim or they fall into a bit of a victim mentality when they are obviously making a choice that's in line with a goal that they say that they really want to achieve. And we know that in order to, to achieve certain goals, you generally have to do specific things. And then they compare their actions versus someone else who that other person or other people out there, they have very different interests in life and they have very different goals, at least when it comes to diet. So it's just really not fair to draw a comparison. Mm. Yeah, if I could give two tips, like uh, my, and both are sort of more so centered around someone comparing calories or comparing macros as opposed to food choices. And tip one would be, you don't know what sort of snapshot in time that other person is in. So for example, let's say you're both in prep and the other person is eating more than you in prep. Like one, you don't know whether it could be a refeed day for them or maybe they're just honestly lying because that's not totally uncommon on social media is for people to paint a false picture. And also like you got to examine all the variables. Like maybe that person is doing double your steps per day or maybe that person is doing cardio every day and therefore is able to eat more in a deficit mm. and 
they might just be on at a different stage of their journey to you. Like maybe you are comparing yourself to someone who is, I guess in, in the sense of muscularity, for example, like a first time competitor comparing themselves to like a seasoned competitor who's been competing for 10 or 15 years. Like chances are the seasoned competitor is going to be more muscular than you and they probably are going to be more conditioned than you as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, and at the end of the day, especially in prep, it's just not fair to necessarily draw those comparisons either because you could have someone saying, oh, you know, I'm only eating 100 grams of carbs per day in order to have me in a deficit of losing this amount. But, you know, they might have a fairly sedentary job. They might not actually have a lot of muscle mass on their frame. They might have started their prep with a little bit more body fat to actually lose. In the gym as well, they might not actually know how to train with a really high level of intensity. Plus, they're actually not necessarily lifting exorbitantly heavy weights, which the more weight that you're actually lifting, you have to think about that's obviously going to add to a greater caloric burn. Someone who can shoulder press 30 kilos is probably going to be burning more calories per rep compared to someone who's shoulder pressing five kilos. I would argue even despite if both of their RPEs are like a nine, (laughs) you know what I'm getting at? So Mm -hmm. it's the case of choose your heart. And it's not fair for someone in that position necessarily to then compare themselves to someone else who it's like, oh, I'm on a hundred grams of carbs per day, but this person, they get to eat 175 grams of carbohydrates per day. It's like, man, at the end of the day, what is the difference of 75 grams of carbs? You know, both of those people are in a chronic energy deficit. And you could even argue that the person eating 175 grams of carbs, maybe they're actually having to push their body to an even further level. Like they, yeah, they honestly might be suffering more than you. Yeah. I, cause I, again, we've coached a number of different people and Sometimes the people on the lowest calories are not struggling the most. Yeah. We can definitely attest to that. Yeah, it's it's very interesting, isn't it? So yeah. it's really all relative. And at the end of the day, it comes down to how you're actually feeling and the body composition that you're actually living in. Because if you compare a figure athlete who is far leaner than an ICM bikini athlete, and maybe on both of their low days comparatively, a figure athlete, let's say she is eating 175 grams of carbohydrates versus a bikini girl who might be eating 100. If you actually compare their level of intensity in the gym, that figure athlete on the flip side, she's got to put herself probably under hundreds of kilograms more on like a leg press and just bury herself <laughs> compared to something else. So it's, it's really the case of choose your hard, choose your difficult. But really, it's all relative at the end of the day. And I don't think you can draw conclusions just based down to a certain amount of calories. Plus, I like how you mentioned too about a snapshot in time. You can't just draw an overall conclusion about someone else's dietary pattern. So for example, you might be working in an office and let's say that someone's handing out one of those big boxes of favorites and people are allowed to pick a little candy. You might see someone of a fairly healthy body weight and they pick out a Mars bar and they eat it. Just like, you know, it's no big deal because it is no big deal. But then you're starting to draw a comparison to say, I don't understand. Like that person, they're such a healthy body weight and all they eat is candy. All I see them doing is eating Mars bars. and. I'm over here, you know, I'm having to meticulously track everything I put into my body. I feel like I'm hungry all the time. That's not fair to draw that sort of comparison or just make an overall assumption about that person because they're probably in a completely different phase of their journey and they are probably making completely different dietary choices on a daily basis compared to you. So I just, I don't think that's fair. And it's not like you are following someone else around 24 seven, looking at everything they do and everything that they eat, no matter how much someone posts about their life on social media, we never truly actually know what's going on. So cheesy as it sounds, I think that you just have to be more hyper-focused on yourself and your own goals compared to just other people, because really at the end of the day, it's just a waste of energy and that energy should be better invested in you. Yeah. I think sometimes staying in your own lane is important. Um, it's easier said than done, of course, especially with the exposure to so many facets of social media these Mm. days. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on to this next one, it says, how long do you think a strength training session should usually take? And how long do our workouts take us? 
Yeah, so I think they should take as long as they need to take, if mm. that makes sense. Uh, because it's going to differ for everyone based on what their program is, where they're at in their journey. For example, like whether they're beginner, intermediate or, or advanced or also in a more nuanced sense, like are they in a deload? Are they in a period of training like in prep where usually prep workouts will take a bit longer because someone is so fatigued, they need to take probably a little bit more rest time to hype themselves up, etc. So uh, there's really no exact answer. I would say that the most important thing for me as a coach is to see that my clients aren't rushing their workouts and that they're taking adequate rest times in between their sets and that they're giving themselves sufficient time for the whole session to also address each exercise with sufficient intensity as well. Mm. And of course, there are times when people just can't dedicate enough time to a session and that's understandable. Eventually something's got to give. And the first thing that's got to give usually is time and time impacts someone's intensity and rest times mm. throughout the workout. And when I say intensity, I don't mean like how hard it is per se, because yes, of course, if, if you work out in half an hour, then of course you, you can easily make it hard. But what I mean by intensity more so is like, are you actually pushing your strength limits to the mm. max? Because if I rested for 30 seconds between each exercise, it would be really, really hard. And I probably wouldn't want to do it week after week because that's not really how, why I find training enjoyable. But I'm also mean again, testing your strength limits. Mm -hmm. It's not exactly about how many beads of sweat do you have on your forehead or, you know, doing back to back supersets and your quads are just on fire or your biceps are just like pumped to the max or something. I would almost say how many sets in your workout are almost getting you low key anxious. <laughs> like you're legitimately questioning like, holy moly, am I actually going to be able to hit seven reps for this top set? So that's what I think about when I think of training intensity rather than, okay, just a, a just a lot of work that's really just exhausting, getting up a really, really high heart rate. Mm. Yeah. I mean, in terms of our workouts, like I will preface this by saying I could definitely make my workouts more efficient mm. if I wanted to, but I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy the time I spend in the gym and at this point in time, like I don't really need them to be more efficient. Mm. But if the time arises where I do, then then I can. But we usually get to the gym at approximately 9 a.m. And we usually get out of the gym at 11.30ish mm. or so. Yeah. And within that, that's not us just going balls to the wall, lifting weights for two and a half hours straight. Of course, tied in there is like a walk on the treadmill. You know, I know you do a bit of your mobility and things. And the gym is just a nice place to be. And of course, now we are in a very fortunate position where we can schedule our days and schedule our time so that we can afford to spend a little bit more time in there as well. Particularly if you wanna be collecting a bit of content, like filming a few workout videos for your Instagram in case of like some stories or some reels or you know maybe taking some progress photos for your coach or something like that. That obviously feeds into the time too. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I would, if someone's wondering about whether they are rushing their workouts or how long it should take, one, I would ensure that the actual workout that you have is, for lack of a better term, good. Like you want it to be an effective program. And once you've ticked that off, so either you source a program from somewhere that you know is, is top notch, mm -hmm. or maybe you go to a coach and ask for a program. And once you have that, then let's say on the weekend, you can dedicate as much time as you want to your training, then I would basically assess how long that workout takes, mm. because that's going to be a more true indicator of um, you sort of working out at your leisure. And sure, it might speed up a little bit faster when, when you adapt to the movements and you know where everything is in the gym and how to execute all the exercises. But um, give or take maybe, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but Yes, a good answer would be anywhere between 45 minutes to three hours. Yeah. <laughs> like it highly depends. It's like asking how many calories should I be eating? It's like there's so many different factors that we need to consider right now. 
So yeah, it's, it is really quite a wide time frame indeed, but mm. absolutely. You don't want to feel like you are in a rush or like, you're just like in that mindset of, Oh, I just got to get this done. It's like, no, like to be at the gym, it should actually be an enjoyable time for you. Yes. It should be challenging you, but you shouldn't feel like you're just, you're just there to just do a workout. You actually want to accomplish something during that workout. Yeah, mm. it's not. And again, that's the difference between training and exercise. Mm. Yeah, but also if you recognize that you're in the gym for just a really long time and it's almost like, man, I kind of felt like I, I got my fix and I really got everything I needed to get from a stimulus front, maybe like half an hour before the workout even finished. Maybe that's also an indication perhaps you're performing a little bit of junk volume or maybe there's just a little bit too much volume on your program. So if you're working alongside a coach, like speak up and actually have those discussions, be like, hey, on my leg extension and leg curl or all of my arm exercises, there's four sets of 15 to 20 reps programmed. I feel like I'm getting really good quality work just doing two or three of those sets. If you actually cut down a bit of set volume, then that would save you time, but also you might continue to just get in good quality work too. Yeah, I think you could also just take more rest in between your sets and mm -hmm. it would still take maybe a similar amount of time, but you, the quality would be higher because you would mm -hmm. take more rest and you could dedicate longer to each set mm -hmm. essentially. Yeah. But yeah. I'm personally actually a big fan of supersetting though some movements. Like for example, if you put calves on a training day and like I usually do calves like on my upper body days and then I do things like lateral raises on my lower body days because I just get better quality work in. But you can always just like put those things in in between when you were doing other sets and you would have just been chilling and resting. Like if you're doing some dumbbell chest press and you've got to wait like at least two to three minutes between sets, go and do a set of calf raises. <laughs> or if you're doing some leg curls, go and do a set of lateral raises. So that's always an option too. Like good old supersets. Yeah, it's a neat trick. <laughs> okay, Jack, this next one, it says, what are your thoughts on getting carbohydrates from only vegetables during a mini cut? I think sometimes this is fairly inevitable if your carbohydrates are quite low. So. It's not uncommon for people to be on, let's say, 100 carb in a mini cut, and there's only so much you can fit in with 100 carb. So, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if someone has mainly or exclusively vegetables to make up 100 carb, because some of that could be starchy vegetables, so for example, like sweet potato, potato, or pumpkin, and the rest could be mainly non-starchy vegetables. I think the main thing you want to just watch out for is your total fiber intake and also how comfortable you feel digestion wise and not just going above and beyond with food volume to to try and fill you up but yeah I, I don't really see a major downside to that depending on like if you're on 300 carb then getting in only vegetables is I would not recommend yes, that. that's ridiculous yeah. <laughs> unless yeah you are eating just like mashed sweet potato or something like that yeah but yeah if you're just eating like 300 grams of carbs worth of like salad vegetables and green beans and capsicums and stuff uh then i would i would assess that yeah i don't think there needs to be too much more to say and maybe as a as a rough guide like if you're on 150 carb or more i think that's ample room to be getting in some grains, mm. like whether it's oats or even rice, quinoa, yeah. etc. wheat. I totally agree. Or you can even just like obviously split it up throughout the day. Like if you are on fairly, let's say on a lower carbohydrate intake, like let's say in the realm of 150 grams per day, maybe like situating more of those complex carbohydrates, like from things like grains situated around your workout, or at least like kind of front loading more of those. Like if you're eating four meals per day, be making like at least two of them more grain based or maybe more carbohydrate rich fruit based. And then maybe two of your meals could be vegetable based, but everyone just has a different threshold primarily for the food volume and the fiber that they mm. can handle. So just find yours. Yeah. Well, I mean, talking about fiber, we, I think we had a question on fiber. Yeah, we actually did. And it asked how much fiber is too much fiber and what are the cons of consuming too much fiber? Mm. So yeah, the upper limit of fiber is like roughly suggested as like 75 grams a day. Mm. It's a very 
rough upper limit though because mm. you can go beyond it and i think if anything more people should be having a high fiber diet mm. and realistically like 30 grams a day for men and 25 grams a day for females that's really low mm. and people would still benefit from eating more fiber like some people hear 50 grams a day or 60 grams and they're like that's crazy that's out of this world and it's it's really not like out of this world <laughs> alien like extraterrestrial you would be amazed by how easy it actually is to achieve <laughs> yeah so in terms of the downsides of a high fiber diet uh really is going to be some ibs related symptoms mm. so for example maybe constipation or bloating gas uh flatulence I find that it can go either way and mm. it highly depends on someone's hydration status and also the types of fiber that they're consuming. Cause we know that fiber comes in two primary forms, soluble and insoluble fiber. So soluble fiber, it's going to draw more water into the bowels and it's going to be more moist. And then insoluble fiber, it doesn't necessarily draw in water, but it really provides more like bulk to your stool. So you want a pretty good ratio of 50-50. So you got the bulk, but you also got the hydration to move things through. So it, it's the case of if someone's consuming like a lot of insoluble fiber from like, you know, a lot of cruciferous vegetables and the skins of different fruits and vegetables and uh, different nuts. pulses, nuts, things of that nature, just like things that when you cook them, like, yeah, they cook and they might get a little bit softer, but they don't necessarily absorb a lot of water in comparison to another type of fiber. Like, let's say something like oats. Oats have a lot of soluble fiber in them. And you can tell because when you cook them, they soak up a lot of water. <laughs> so that's just a kind of good way that you can tell without getting into the nitty gritty food science behind it. Just like look at your food <laughs> and how is it cooking. Um, so that's the thing, like with high fiber intakes, someone could run into constipation if they're not hydrated and they're consuming a lot of insoluble fiber, or they can actually have very regular and frequent and kind of just like a lot more loose stools if they're consuming a lot of soluble fiber. Yeah, I mean, we've both gone through phases, like you still have a lot of fiber mm, my daily intakes around 80 grams or mm -hmm. so but bear in mind that i'm consuming around like 400 grams of carbohydrates per day and i just i love having a high fruit and vegetable and whole grain intake mm. but i've been accustomed to that for years like it's just the way that i love to eat it makes me feel my absolute best and like because i'm accustomed to that my digestion it's pretty damn good you know i no issues yeah and I've, we've both gone through stints of having above a hundred grams a day. Mm. And I think within, in that moment, like we were, we were fine. I, I think looking back for me, maybe it potentially may have harmed my nutrient absorption, mm. which is one aspect of a downside of higher fiber intakes. But as long as you're strategic around what you're having in each meal and maybe additional supplementation as well. I mean, most people do not need to worry about mm. nutrient malabsorption from higher fiber intakes unless yeah. you're having more than 75 grams a day. Mm -hmm. um, and the best way to know that is, are you actually deficient in a nutrient to like have some blood work done? Because you yeah. could go either way. You could say, oh, you're consuming a very high amount of fiber. So potentially that fiber could be binding to essential micronutrients. You're not absorbing all of your essential micros. But then you could say, oh, but the reason why my fiber is so high is because I'm eating so many fruits and vegetables mm. and whole grains, which are so rich in micronutrients. Unfortunately, I don't think that's <laughs> the case though for people or some people who have high fiber intakes. I mm -hmm. think a lot of it's maybe from foods that are maybe false or false positively high in fiber like protein bars mm. and stuff like that yeah maybe they're trying to chase satiation and if your fiber is high from like as tiara said a legitimate diversity in plant-based foods and that's excellent but if your fiber is high from diet foods and mm. maybe you have this lentil pasta which has like 100 grams of fiber in it mm -hmm. <laughs> then uh, just maybe be a little bit more wary of that if your fiber is coming from only like two or three major sources. Yeah, there's a big difference between having a very heavily plant-based diet and like you said, just consuming a lot of 
phylum husk and protein mm. bars. Even yeah. if, or maybe you have like a hundred grams of oat brown a day. <laughs> yeah, even on, if on my fitness pal, they're both equaling out to be the exact, you know, total grams of fiber in a day. It kind of comes back to you know, like if it fits your macros, mm. <laughs> you know, fiber isn't technically a macro, but we is kind of chuck it in that category. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not necessarily a case of if it if it fits your fiber intake goals. <laughs> Yeah, I think to summarize, like if you're eating a lot of fiber, like anywhere from 50 to 100 grams, mm-hmm. but you're symptom free and your blood tests are coming back as you're accomplishing uh, your nutritional requirements and you have a positive relationship with food and you're not eating for volume, like you're not mm-hmm. copiously volume eating, then I think that's completely fine. Yeah, and you feel really comfortable. If you're not experiencing any nasty bloating, you feel comfortable in your waistline, you're not farting all the time, <laughs> then it's totally fine. And kind of coming back to what you said at the very start, it's actually a lot more people would benefit from having a slightly higher fiber diet than generally people are under consuming 25 grams every single day, which is unfortunate. So it's usually an indicator that you have a pretty darn nutritious diet and you are consuming a lot of plants. Yeah. Yeah. So not too much to worry about. I'd be more worried about the fact if you aren't consuming adequate fiber, because that's going to run into a heck of a lot more issues. Jack, on the topic of fiber and vegetables, this next one asks, does Jack always chop his vegetables so aggressively (laughs) and why (laughs) what did they do to you Mm. i think the listeners might need more context for this one okay well jack and i used to eat dinner together around the 6 p.m mark but things are getting a little bit busier now and i've actually been extending my work hours during the day and i'm actually working till about 7 p.m at night now just because I have quite a few competitors competing this season. Check-ins are a bit longer because they involve posing. So I've been posing with a lot of my girls most nights of the week until 7 p.m. And that's obviously a live video call. (laughs) And even though I'm downstairs and Jack is upstairs, come 6 p.m. almost on the dot, we hear this big bang, 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 bang. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm so sorry if you can hear that. And they're like, what's going on? And I'm like, oh, Jack's just having an argument with a carrot. <laughs> Carrots are very loud to chop in my defense. And also, I think it's it's actually not despite being downstairs. It's because you're downstairs because it's a bit of an echo chamber. Like um, our house is pretty empty. We don't have a whole lot of stuff in it. We don't have like a lot of books to soak up the noise. So like it's almost like a funnel down the stairs into the auditorium that you're speaking in so all right if you say so i i also think it's because you're chopping your carrots rather than you know slicing mm. well, and them. I, I always have noise cancelling headphones on that's like true 90 percent of the time yes so i, I don't hear anything <laughs> but that that's why you hear some aggressive vegetable chops going on if mm. you're checking in with me in the later hours of the day but maybe Jack, you could start to experiment by slicing your vegetables, you know? Maybe I could. Yeah, that would, it would be considerate. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. So there's your answer for that one. All right. This next one says, if you could only do 10 exercises for the rest of your life, what would they be? Now I was thinking about this and 10 is a lot. I don't know if I could rattle off 10 just off the top of my head. So do you want to go like five each? Yeah, we can do that. Okay, cool. Yeah, five will come very easily to me. So, yeah, I mean, to start with low, I would just do five. No, I'll do five in general. So, rest of your life, you can't just have amazing wheels. (laughs) So, RDL, Romanian deadlift, and then I would choose a seated hamstring curl, and then a leg press, and then a single arm lap pull down. And I didn't say a iliac lap pull down, just just a single arm lap pull down, which may be a, a iliac pull down. But God forbid, not double arm. Got to be unilateral. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then a standard dumbbell press. Okay, that would be my top five. So you are growing a good set of hamstrings there. You've got a few sets of quads during the week from the leg press. And then you've well, got... yeah, I mean, I'm going off 10. So like I, I would obviously pick another five, but mm. I'm re- hoping that you choose 
a five that complement what I didn't pick. Oh, well, there's a bit of crossover there. One of mine would definitely be an RDL. Would you go barbell or dumbbell? Barbell. For yeah, sure. I'd go barbell too. So a barbell RDL, and I would go a dumbbell Bulgarian split squat because obviously great quads and glutes there and, and adductors. And then I would go a chin up. So I'm kind of, I'm trying to be sneaky here. I'm like, give me a chin up bar. <laughs> Cause then you could do like different grips and different angles and stuff, but I would go a body weight chin up. I'd also go some dips as well. And then to chuck in a fifth one, uh, it was a tie between calf raises or lateral raises, but I do love a good cable lateral raise. So I chose the mm. lateral raises. My rationale behind that is like, I'm trying to cover all my bases in terms of physique development and also enjoying training and like really being challenged by things. So like barbell RDL is obviously awesome for your entire posterior chain. So your back, your glutes, your hamstrings, a Bulgarian great for your quads and your glutes and your adductors. And if you could be sneaky, you could change your foot stance a little bit. And then obviously chin up for your back development. Dips are just so damn good for like your triceps, your delts and your chest. And then lateral raises, who doesn't want nice lateral delts? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 10 exercises is a lot. Like you can you can develop quite a good physique mm. or a great physique with 10 exercises. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, just hit up TBD for a 10 exercise workout program. Yeah, you really need to. <laughs> I'd rather program more than 10. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's always funny those sort of questions, right? It's like, would you rather? Or like, you know, you're mm. in this very specific situation. It's kind of a question of like, why? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're, they're enjoyable to ask and somewhat enjoyable to answer depending yeah. on the question. I think more the rationale, like uh, from that, it's like, what are your almost top rated exercises if you have access to minimal equipment or like just things that you think you're going to get the most bang for your buck with in terms of physique development? Maybe, but I also think this style of question, it helps separate a lot of the shit exercises out mm -hmm. there. Like we didn't say crab walks with a booty band, did we? Yeah, or like a reverse banded kickback on a Smith mm. machine. Yeah. <laughs> Been there, done that, did not grow a glute. <laughs> All right, this next one, Jack, it says, are you guys ever gonna make a return to YouTube? Well, I don't, I can pretty say confidently that Tierra isn't going to, mm. but I, I might in the future, I think. The major consideration with YouTube compared to Instagram and the podcast is that the return of investment is much lower in comparison to the effort put in. Like a YouTube video is filming the whole day usually and then editing for a significant period and then uh, people forget about the thumbnail as well, which uh, because I'm a bit of a perfectionist with that, it usually takes quite a long time. Mm. And, and then what you get like 500 views on it, if that. So. Mm. Uh, obviously if, if you build your channel into something that's, uh, watched heavily and you get some, maybe some good ad revenue and more importantly, if like you develop a really good community and, uh, people then either buy something from you again, I am sort of looking into this as a business because ultimately like that's partially how I look at things. Mm. I would get definitely get some pleasure out of doing YouTube because of the community that we would develop, but stuff like Instagram reels and the podcast is less input for more output, mm. essentially. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, but I think that if you're going to do YouTube, you definitely have to do it with the right intentions. In the case of like, you are a creator, you love documenting things, you get a lot of joy from actually filming, thinking up, obviously what you want to film, how you want to put the video together, editing. Like I always found that really fun, but mm. yeah, I guess the reason why I, what I enjoyed the most about YouTube is obviously I love to be able to document my life. Like that's why personally I love taking a lot of photos in my life because it just helps me remember things. But what I really liked about YouTube was actually once it was all done and all filmed and together, like I love the editing component. I could actually stay up all night just editing videos. Like I just thought it was really fun, the creation side of things. But I'm not sure it was strange because whenever I was filming, I don't know if it was just because I was in prep and like, you know, just less glucose going to your brain and you don't have as high of cognitive power. But 
Unfortunately, I didn't feel very mindful during the day, which I know doesn't bother you a lot, but for someone like myself who is very invested in just, yeah, I go out for walks with just nothing but my shoes, don't take my phone. Like I just, I'm in my own thoughts. You know, I I might even have a conversation with myself out loud. Like I'm just very mindful in life and I'm just trying to take it all in. Sometimes when I had a camera right in my face and I was filming something, I felt like I just couldn't actually take in the experience. It was very, very strange. Like when I was filming myself actually like making a meal and then when I would sit down to eat the meal and like if the camera was on me while I was eating the meal, like I couldn't actually be present with the meal. It was, it was strange. And it just, it personally, yeah, you're like, that's so weird. And I'm like, yeah, I know it's weird, but it genuinely bothers me. So Mm. I actually more heavily weigh up i'm like i would rather enjoy my life off camera than actually have the camera on me and just not be really present in the moment yeah it's a fine rationale yeah (laughs) i mean if if i could snap my fingers and be back on youtube right now i i would Mm. Um, i'm more interested in documenting my prep when that comes around because i think that'll be more exciting so um, I would give it maybe like an honest 50% chance as to whether I would come back to YouTube mm. in uh, next year for my prep. The, the major thing for me is like, if I don't do YouTube, is that going to correlate to like more Instagram content produced? Mm. If it does, then that might be why I don't come back to YouTube mm. is because it will hopefully correlate to more success for my own personal Instagram. Because I, I put the TBD Instagram well above my own personal one. Hence the constant uh, or the consistent content on TBD Mm. um, and and therefore my personal one suffers. But anyway. Yeah. If I was you, I would probably put more emphasis on Instagram because I think even for a consumer who's actually taking in the content, the great thing about Instagram and the great thing about podcasts as well, even though podcasts are long form format, like it's a lot less of a burden on a consumer. You know, you can plug in a podcast while you're washing the dishes or while you're sitting on a train or you can turn it on and off. Like YouTube is a bit more of an investment. If you're trying, you have to actually sit down and watch a video, listen to the Mm. video uh, and, and it's long form content too. Whereas Instagram, it's so on off, it's shorter form content. Like everything's congregated in one spot too. People can really follow a journey. So that's why I think Instagram's kind of like top tier if you're really going to invest the time and energy. And everyone, if they wanted to see who, who's, who's Jack Bradford Smith, they'll, they'll look up who's Jack Bradford Smith, they'll type you into an Instagram search bar. Mm. Yeah, sort of thing. Um, I, I definitely want to be documenting more of my prep too over Instagram as well, but I'm still in two minds about it too. Like how much I really want to document because, ah, I don't know. <laughs> I feel like I'm already on my phone so much with my line of work that when I get an opportunity to be off my phone, it's so refreshing and nice. So like I sometimes think I'm like, man, you know, I, I could go on a walk and I could answer a, bus, a bunch of questions on an Instagram poll and, you know, just be out there talking and yapping and thinking like, you know, sharing my thoughts. But on the flip side too, I'm like, man, I get an opportunity to go out for a 30 minute walk. I don't really want to be on my phone. I don't want to be filming myself. I just want to like let my mind just totally relax and just like let my mind wander. So yeah, I'm in two minds about it. Because I, I sometimes I think about people who do that, and you, we all know who I'm talking about right now—not a specific person, but you know, when people, yeah. yeah, influencers. But when you are out for a walk, and you know, you're talking to the camera, like, "Hey guys, I just had this great." I don't thought. know why you're envisioning out for a walk. I think that might be—you might have compartmentalized that. Mm. Maybe, but a lot of people do go out and they answer questions and they talk about things while they're out for a walk. And like, Mm. yeah, that's great if they're, I don't know, trying to kill two birds with one stone. They're sharing their thoughts, you know, and they're opening up and they're sharing more content and giving an insight into their journey. And they're like, woohoo, also getting my steps in. But at the same time, I don't know, I'm just like, my walks are so special for my brain. <laughs> I think, yeah, everyone's different. Like, I wouldn't care less about answering questions on a walk. Like, I don't need that. I think mindfulness is important, but I definitely get it in other ways from you. Yeah. Which is lucky for me because mm. I don't need to have that time alone. Yeah, I know. I'm just like, my brain... For me, like, one song listened to <laughs> that I just sort of... One song, because um, I'm 
music is sort of my way to just detach yeah. and I'll just listen to a song and then I'll be at back at a hundred percent. Yeah. And for me, I'm like, I need at least 30 minutes peace and quiet all by myself and then I'm good to go again. So yeah, everyone's different. Mm. <laughs> oh, but anyway, that was kind of a long winded answer of return to YouTube. Still a bit of a question mark there. So Jack, do we have time for one more? Yeah, I think we can do one more. Awesome. Okay. So this last question says, how to determine post-show calories, how to know how much weight is too much weight to gain? Great question. And we have discussed this question in, in quite a lot of depth before. And so I'm going to stick to the basics in this answer, but I'd also recommend that you head over, over to our Instagram and check out our post-competition or recovery phase posts. You won't have to scroll down too far. I think you'd get quite a lot of insight from them but essentially choosing your post-show calories is you want to basically go roughly like figure out what your maintenance is first approximately and then increase it slightly from there because even if you uh, are competing in one of the less conditioned categories for example like ICN bikini you'd probably still benefit from a lot a little bit of weight gain post-show to put your body fat into a more healthy or maintainable position so that's kind of where I'd start in terms of calories. Obviously, I don't have an exact number for you, but I think you can hopefully do the the work required from there mm. to assess roughly where you need to be. I think more importantly also than the amount of calories that you're on post-show is like, how do you personally feel about that? What is your like current relationship with food like? Are you going to be able to adhere to that number of calories? And like, do you have anyone in your corner, like your coach or... Uh, friends and family who can who you can talk to and, and mm. help you out in that period. I think a good way to help determine how many calories that you know you could kind of start someone on would be one take their refeed data, perhaps like take their carb up data leading up to that show during mm. their peak week, and if they were actually maintaining weight when they were hitting those calories, then you'd say, okay, well that's roughly your maintenance calories, and then you'd need to add on a few hundred calories on top of that to purposefully get them into a surplus plus coincided with like a refeed someone might be having one to two or three a week or someone might have like a one or two or three day carb up leading up into their show then if you stretch that across an entire week so let's say that someone's you know usually dieting on anywhere in the realm of 100 to 150 carbohydrates then on their refeed days they're sitting in the range of 250 to 400 grams of carbohydrates right so you'd actually purposely bring that up every single day and i think you touched a really important point that no one can deny is the fact that having a certain calorie target is one thing but actually consuming those calories post-show is, is a whole different ball game mm. too so in terms of weight gain we've quoted this number a number of times but like you want to be trying to gain at least five to ten percent of your stage weight in the first four to eight weeks post-show. So five to 10% in the first one to two months post-show, going toward the lower end if you are competing in the less conditioned categories like ICN bikini, or perhaps for your division, you actually just didn't get to that like top tier conditioning. And then going toward the higher end, if you did compete in a category that requires a very high level of conditioning like bodybuilding, figure, fitness, you name it, and you also got very conditioned too. Mm. Yeah, and just remember as well that if you maybe you don't stick to your macros or whatever it may be for a day, like you haven't failed. Mm. And as cheesy as that sounds, like especially if this is your first reverse period, then just be easy on yourself mm. and don't go from one extreme to the next. So like just because you don't hit it for one day, try not to then just drop the reins completely. Mm -hmm. Like you don't need to sort of make up for it the following day. You don't need to undereat. You don't need to overexercise. Just get back onto the, the calories that either you prescribe yourself or your coach. I think if you don't have a coach in the reverse period, I'd highly encourage you to mm. reach out to a coach. Um, that might be a good opportunity to plug us and talk about us for just a second. Uh, obviously, we do work with a lot of competitors. So... Um, if anyone who is listening is interested in competing or maybe you're not interested in competing, maybe just body comp change um, or anything related to training and nutrition, then I uh, would love to help you out if you 
want to check out our services, I think the easiest place to head to is our website, mm-hmm. just at thebodybuildingdietitians.com. Yeah. Or if you just Google us, we'll, we'll pop up as number one. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But bottom line is take care of yourself. And I, I like that rule of thumb too, in the case of if something that doesn't necessarily go to your pristine plan, just take the next meal as another opportunity and there's no need to like try to compensate or in any sense like if you had a little bit more to eat at lunch just still have your planned dinner and then still have your planned breakfast the next day just just get on back onto that train yeah where people go wrong in the reverse phases it's not that they oh i ate an extra 100 calories at lunch no that's not why people like fail in the reverse because yeah i would say that people unfortunately do fail it it's because yeah, they go to the extremes mm. and that causes a bit of a difficult time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sure can be very, very difficult. But of course, like anything with experience, the more you compete, the more often you're exposed to that post-comp period. You know what to expect and you know how to just really set a solid plan and know really how to handle yourself mentally more than anything. Mm. Yeah, I would say mentally is... 85% of mm-hmm. the reverse yeah. phase. <laughs> Physically, like your body, yeah, it's uh, it's been pushed very, very hard, yeah. but, but it's it does... your mind more than anything. Yeah. Like most things related to bodybuilding. Yes, it is a mental <laughs> sport. Cool. <laughs> well, we'll finish on something that we learned this past week. Okay. Well, Jack, what did you learn? <laughs> yeah, so nothing immediately comes to mind this week. And I would say the only thing is just about that new Instagram side hustle thing instagram threads yeah i believe it's called hashtag ig threads yep which yeah appears to be a bit of a copy of twitter which i'm not surprised because it seemed i've never used twitter but i mean after elon taking over it seems like that they've faced some struggles Mm. and now instagram's trying to jump on that bandwagon while they're in the dumps a little bit so yeah, and I guess the more so topic around that is like uh, I sort of feel as as someone who is a bit of Instagram as part of our business. That's like oh, another thing that I have to do now. Mm. I really don't like it when they keep introducing things like TikTok and now Instagram Threads, and uh, it's just I feel like it's another weight on my shoulders that mm. or pressure that I have to do something else. So you probably won't see me on that. <laughs> we say that now, but on the flip side too, it's almost like Instagram will find a way to force you down a certain road yeah. if you want to keep getting good engagement on the app. Because mm. we've even kind of experienced that, you know, like our content, it's still doing well, of course, but like our highly informative infographic content on TBD, like it's not quite getting the same reach anymore because it's still actual photo content. We don't have a a bunch of reels on Instagram and because Instagram wants to take over TikTok, it's like, no, it's it's a lot more of a video platform now. So we're not going to share a lot of your stuff if it's not a video. It's like, Come on, man. It's great stuff. <laughs> People need to see this. It's important. They'll, they'll mm. learn something. Yeah. It's unfortunate, but... Mm. I haven't fully learned about that, to be honest. Because like you said, we've never been on Twitter. and We've never been no. on TikTok either. It's like mm. Instagram, is it, that's one app. It's enough. <laughs> yeah. I think whatever you learn is just secondhand from me. I don't <laughs> think you really learn anything when firsthand. It, no, when it comes to social media, maybe. Yeah. yeah obviously not everything. <laughs> not in life. <laughs> but yeah, anything related to social media. Jack does call me a bit of a dinosaur because I've actually never scrolled reels in my life. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think you know how to. Yeah, which button do you press? Exactly. (laughs) Oh man, so behind the times. What did you learn though, Sierra? All right, what I learned was another way to one-up myself. You know, like you're always learning different ways to kind of master your own food creations. And I thought I really had it with cream of wheat. But it turns out, like any cook would tell you this, that like the temperature of something that you're cooking at or like particularly the temperature of the water is actually going to make a difference to how something cooks in terms of the texture and the time. So I used to just make my cream of wheat with just blending 100 grams of wholemeal flour, 10 grams of raw cocoa, 10 grams of chia seeds, and then I put about 20 grams of protein powder in there. And then I blend that with, originally I was just using 600 milliliters of water from the tap. But 
I discovered this by accident where the kettle had a bit of pre-boiled water in it. And so then I just filled up some more water into the kettle from the tap and it wasn't the standard cold tap water. It was now like lukewarm water. And I put wow. that into my cream of wheat and I cooked it and it was the best texture cream of wheat I've ever had in my life. And I'm like, aha, there is something to this. So now I've discovered that one, you don't want to use boiling water because then like, yeah, well, no, it won't burn. You will just have an absolute catastrophe in the microwave and like no spatula can save you. <laughs> You're just like, I got to start again. And gosh, darn it. Everything's just a mess. <laughs> so, so what temperature exactly do they need? That's my next step to really perfect this. I need to get a thermometer and actually see, okay. Or a thermometer gun. That would just, that would be easier because then you could just assess it instantly. Shoot the kettle. No, you know, those laser thermometer guns. Oh, like one in of chemistry those. Class. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I won't actually dip it into the kettle. So old school. Mm. <laughs> um, but that's the next step to know, okay, it's exactly 63 degrees centigrade. But what did you think I meant when I said thermometer gun? Then? Ah, I was just making a joke, but I yeah. was actually just thinking of a little pistol, like actually shooting our glass kettle. And then yeah. that's going to make an even bigger mess than this exploded cream of wheat in the microwave. But either way, using warm water for things like cream of wheat or protein cakes, one, it cooks in less time, but also because the microwave doesn't have to spend as long heating up the water initially, man, it just turns out really, really nice. So always finding ways to master my own craft, which I just, I love. It's never ending, you know? Yeah, you true are, truly are a master cream of wheat maker. <laughs> I do seem to be the only one though, even though I can spell out the exact recipe and the exact directions and I'm very adamant about use a stick blender, don't freaking whisk it with a fork. People still Instagram DM me and they're like, hey, I tried making your cream of wheat thing and it was basically just like soup. And I'm like, no. <laughs> so I don't know what to do. I just... Well, you, cause you need to forward them to your YouTube video. Yeah. No. Or do I have, I don't actually, you have cream of wheat on your oh, YouTube. Oh yeah. Well, then my YouTube video. Yeah. Forward it to Jack. Although I read, cause I still get comments from our previous YouTube videos and someone commented, I'll actually get the comment up now. I hope it's friendly. Unfortunately not. Oh, <laughs> it's not too unfriendly, but they said, did I miss something? You didn't add cream of wheat to that bowl. I'm not sure if they're saying like, that looks so bad. It's not cream of wheat. Or if they're meaning like, oh, you didn't add like the instant cream of wheat package. Uh, yeah, I think that's what they're talking about. Because we call cream of wheat in Australia, we literally just use wholemeal flour or you use plain flour. I, I like the wholemeal one because like I think the fiber adds a nice texture. Um, but in the US, because man, they have everything there on the supermarket shelves, but they do actually have cream of wheat. Yes, yeah. they do. So it's a natural well, product. Wheat is a is a brand. Yeah. yeah. It's not just It's a... not really a I think it's more of a brand than a product. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Cuz cream of wheat the product is it's just cream of wheat. Like mm -hmm. it's we make cream of wheat. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> we should just call it cream of wholemeal flour. Yeah, just, cream of flour. So there's no confusion. Mm. <laughs> All right, so anyway, guys, there you go. That's what we learned this week. But thanks so much for tuning in to this podcast. And uh, if you did enjoy it, please remember to take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag Jack, tag myself, tag TBD, and we'll catch you in the next one. <laughs>